You're listening to the Cultural Curriculum Chat, the podcast that specializes in multicultural education and classroom strategies. I'm your host, Jebe Edmonds. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Jebba Edmonds here. Welcome back to the podcast. This podcast is for you if you are an educator, a DEIB learner, a neighbor, anyone interested in building those authentic cross-cultural connections. And for our topic today, I've named it Code Switching 101. It is a really not so new phenomena that's been going on with all of us for centuries. And so I'm going to dive deep into sharing with you my insights on what this vocabulary term code switching is. If you are new to the show, I'm Jeppa Edmonds. I've been an educator for over 18 years and counting. I'm not in the classroom anymore, but I am educating business owners and for-profit and non-for-profit organizations. And I have to give myself a little raise the roof. You can't see me, but I'm raising the roof. If you're in class 98, you'll know what I'm talking about. In celebration of signing my 50th client for DEI training. So I'm super excited to be working with a school district coming up and um, can't wait to share my insights and hope that they will gain lots of great results from what they'll learn from me coming up in quarter one. But back to code switching. I just want to make sure that you are not washing dishes while I get into this or just having all your tabs open on your screen while you're listening to the podcast. So make sure you have a pen and paper handy to take some good notes. But we'll be learning, like I said, what is code switching, why code switching happens, and some concepts that you can use with code switching in the classroom educators and the best benefits for your students. So code switching are choices that we make in how we talk and present ourselves. And it can be seen in various ways of how we communicate, how we wear our hair, how we dress, and how we behave. So just an example of how we communicate both verbal and nonverbal cues in order to assimilate in the majority white culture. Sometimes you will change your vernacular, your slang, your speech, even your tone of voice. A lot of us in the BIPOC community do that inherently in order to survive. A lot of us in the BIPOC community are in spaces where we're not highly represented. So we're going to switch our tone, our vernacular, in order to not get passed up, not get looked down upon, not get the stereotype biases accelerated when we are not our full authentic self. And so by doing so, we often feel alienated by our own peers and our cultural groups and been called sellout, been called other things that I'm not going to say on this show. But A lot of us get passed up for promotion, could be reprimanded, as well as looked down upon by just simply communicating, by switching our speech. I saw something online with, I'm a big fan of Tabitha Brown, and she had a clip 
in her episode on YouTube about code switching. And I'll put it in the show notes. It was really insightful. Her and her dear friends are at a table and just discussing their own code switching that they have to do in order to move through our society. And one of the patrons at the table was saying, yep, I have my hood voice and I have my bill collector voice. And so that kind of a duality of what a lot of us people of color face when we are communicating with others is inherent. But like I said, it's what we do in order to continue in this society. How we wear our hair. There's so many things in the disciplinary of our children of color, especially in schools and even in our workplaces. Not wearing our natural hair has been something that I've done for many, many years in order to assimilate, in order to fit in. I remember in seventh grade, back then, I wanted to be like my little white girlfriends in my seventh grade class. I was the only black girl in my class at that time. And they were all getting these spiral perms. And my hair was already naturally curly. But in the early 90s, that kind of curl was not accepted. We were constantly relaxing our hair. And if you're not sure what a relaxer is, it's a, a permanent straightener that we would put in our hair once a month and use these chemicals to burn our scalp just to make it look straight, to look Eurocentric. And this big craze of the spiral curl perm came out, and I wanted to get that look too. And so my mom drove me to, I even remember the salon. It was called Crescendo in downtown Minneapolis. And instead of the spiral curl perm, the equivalent for Black folks back then was the Wave Nouveau perm. So that also burned my scalp and the curl didn't quite look like curly. It looked like Little Richard on a good day. And so I had an activator mist in my locker and I was just trying to assimilate all the things in order to fit in. So that's just an example of how we code switch, even with our hair. Um, you're going to see a lot in the news lately has been ramping up of especially black and brown students wearing their natural hair. But it's also the biases of school districts and businesses in their quote unquote dress code or their professional work handbook policies, which punish our natural hair as looking as being unkept or unprofessional. Just a couple examples in the school system that I found by Chalkbeat. It was 2018, a wrestling referee in New Jersey forced a 16 year old biracial wrestler to cut his locks or forfeit his match. And just seeing the video of this young man crying on the mat while one of the coaches cuts his hair in order to play was something that was really heartbreaking to see. And culturally, when people grow their locks, they grow it for a reason, and it's up to them to make that choice to cut it. A lot of um, people keep their locks after they cut it. It's a treasure. It's a story behind it. And seeing that story ripped away from that young man, it's still, it still haunts me in a way. You're also going to see other reports out there of pictures, displays, and just other people's biases of girls and boys with braids or their natural hair flowing out of their scalp as inappropriate. We don't know what to do. 
There's reports of young girls getting their hair cut by their teacher because it looked like it was a matted nest. Um, Those are the things that are very hurtful. And so when you as educators are wondering, how do I create this belonging space for my students? The first thing I would always say is, one, don't touch their hair. Their hair is their crowning glory. That's what all the African and African-American women used to always tell us when we were growing up is your hair is your crowning glory and our crown should be seen and not touched. So that's the biggest thing. Another thing I would definitely look into your school policy handbooks and get rid of that. What you and your bias of what is kept and unprofessional is completely different with somebody else's way of life. Dress codes, again, at work, especially in the corporate world, what's deemed professional. And like I said, there's only 19 out of 50 states that have passed that Crown Act within legislature. And just how we carry ourselves to be deemed as a leader. We've been taught so much in the BIPOC community how not to be perceived as a threat. Even our clothing and the pressures to look like the status quo and not be our full self has been going on for a long time. I've been seeing that in our dress, how people just want to just say, you know what, I'm going to be my full self and I don't care what anybody else thinks. And I'm seeing more of that movement and I'm really enjoying to see that, how if you really want to see me, the full authentic me, you're going to have all of me unapologetically. So that's really neat to see. Like I said, how we behave, our behavior must be polite, respectful when interacting with law enforcement. Again, survival. Our tone of voice, like I said, should also match our body language in non-threatening ways. These are all the systematic things that were in place for all of us, especially people in the BIPOC community, how to assimilate and behave. We don't want to be the angry black trope or the angry insert cultural group trope. And so how we had to constantly check our own selves in order to appease the rest of the majority has been ingrained in us for a long time. And for example, those normative rules, your quote-unquote inside voices, I am inside, but the tone is which of going higher or louder. I always say, I always make a joyful sound. And being taught how to use that inside voice has always been problematic. Are you ready for some real tea? Here's the thing. It's not just people in the BIPOC community that code switch. We all code switch, okay? We all use different parts of ourselves to assimilate with who is represented in the room that we are in. So think of this. Your language that you use when you talk to your students, right? I used to say this to get my students' attention when I taught first grade. Mac and cheese, everybody freeze, right? Or show five when I taught fifth grade, and they'd show five. But it'd be different as to me talking to my best friend. I don't even say hello to my best friend, Tara. I just say girl, and we just get started, right? So we code switch depending on who is in the room. Now, why code switching happens, primarily in my lived experience as a person of color, it's been like a long strategy for BIPOC people to successfully navigate our own interracial interactions for our well-being, economic advancement, and like I said, for survival. 
Okay. So for me, I've always been a code switcher. You know, growing up as a Liberian immigrant, the culture in our household was, you know, outside was U.S., inside was Liberia with some sprinkles of U.S. in it too because of where we were. I remember hearing my parents code switching with their Liberian colloquia, their Liberian slang, English, with their siblings, with their parents, as well as with their friends. And that colloquia would change when they would be talking with a colleague or interacting with people in the community that wasn't Liberian. And so for me, witnessing that and also kind of doing it a little bit, but of course getting teased for not doing it well enough um, by my aunts and uncles and relatives and friends that were Liberian. Uh, I remember leaving the house and, you know, being American Jebs, interacting with my friends, I wouldn't be speaking uh, that Liberian English, of course. Um, But having to go through that duality, like I said earlier, of trying to be my full authentic self in a way that I can interact with people who's in the room around me. With that comes a lot of choices that you make and a lot of questions. One of my webinars that I conducted uh, weeks ago was that choices that I make about code switching as far as what, how I dress. We were going to my cousin on my husband's side's wedding, and I was just grappling with this choice for weeks. Do I wear my traditional Liberian dresses, or do I just wear something off the rack that I like to wear, a dressy dress? Because I knew in the back of my mind, I'd be the only person that's Black at the wedding on my husband's side. But culturally, we would wear our African outfits for weddings because that's a very special occasion. I was grappling for this for weeks. And I wore a dress in my closet, really cute dress, but it wasn't an African dress because of the bombardment of questions. I would get. And I just was not in the capacity to field questions. When you are a person of color, it's kind of like when you wear something that is authentically you, something you're proud to share and wear, you have to get yourself mentally prepared for answering the bombardment of questions. Think about it as your own press conference, right? I just want to enjoy my cousin's wedding. I didn't want to be bombarded by, oh, I love your costume. It's not a costume. It's a dress. Oh, what's the fabric? Oh, where did you get it? And da 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 da. So when curiosity turns into annoyance, that's when you're like, oh my gosh, I just want to sit back and enjoy my cousin's wedding. I know we're in the middle of nowhere. I know I'm going to get looks, and it's not always going to be positive looks. And I just don't want to get hassle with it. I also know I'm not immune to not getting those type of questions. But the question I got at that wedding was not about my dress. It was, who do you belong to? And that I'm going to save for another future podcast episode, because that in itself talks about people's implicit biases and what not to say when you step in it. When we are code switching and thinking about ways of interacting with others so they understand us, I think us as educators, when we think about code switching in the classroom, you're trying to build that rapport with your students of having them 
not have to put their culture at the door. All of us educators have the best intentions of, oh, we want all of our students to feel like themselves and they're ready to learn. But a lot of our students and our colleagues leave that culture at the door because of what I've said earlier. And in order for us educators to continue that rapport in a positive way with our students, to make them feel confident and comfortable in your classroom, is to just let them be themselves. If you hear their vernacular, if you hear them changing in a way because they're still not quite sure that they can be in your space full-heartedly, it will take time. You know, I love Gloria Ladson Billings, and she says, the goal of cultural competence is to ensure that students remain firmly grounded in their culture of origin and learn it well while acquiring knowledge and skill in at least one additional culture. And what Gloria is trying to say here is they're coming to you with all the knowledge that they know of their own culture. Let them be affirmed in that culture and let them explore it while they're acquiring the cultures around them and learning from those other cultures too. Trust me, that is an emotional, intelligent skill that all of us should embrace. That is something where a lot of our biases that sink in going, oh, that person's multilingual. Oh, that person is speaking their AAVE, African-American vernacular English. They must be ignorant. They must have a hard time assimilating to our values and our mission. That's very hurtful. And people that are multilingual, especially with the different vernaculars and dialects that we have in this country, that's multiple intelligence right there, folks. And so when you diminish that as not an asset, that is where you see code switching ramping up. So when you are going around and you're hearing phrases like, oh, that's cap or okay bet, you know, or do I look like Boo Boo the Fool? That's okay. You know, let children and students be who they are. Now, the biggest question I always get when I'm working with my clients when we talk about code switching is, can I repeat these phrases? No. If you are not from that cultural group, I highly recommend you just observe. You don't repeat because when you are repeating that, you are mocking the person. You are making them feel alienated. You're making them feel othered. I don't want our students swearing or using no bad language as in homophobic, misogynistic, racist. That's not okay. But there's more words in our vocabularies that is rich and of value. And a lot of that comes with letting students be who they are. Another really funny code switching story. I will never forget this. I grew up in the northern suburbs of Minneapolis in Coon Rapids. And my freshman year of college, I got a summer job working in a library in Brooklyn Park, in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, if you're not familiar. It's like little Liberia. There's a lot of Liberian immigrants that have set up 
businesses, homes, communities. It's really rich of our Liberian culture in Minnesota. And uh, I was working at this library and this little Liberian girl, her name is Love. I'll never forget. And Love and Amadou, a little boy, about first grade age, they were in there in the summer. We had a whole program where they come in, we'd have breakfast. It was summer school and we'd read to the kids, have little small groups and kind of sparked my love for being an educator because my mom was a first grade teacher. So it kind of gave me a chance to kind of dip my toe into what it was like to be a teacher. And so the main media specialist there, let's just call her Miss Wilson. I don't remember her name, but let's just call her Miss Wilson, was there. And Love came up and she was just upset to Miss Wilson. She's like, oh, I'm going to do cussing. Da-da-da-da. He's homicking me. And da-da-da. And Miss Wilson is like, oh, is Amadou your cousin? And it took me being there as a, a Liberian to understand what Love was saying. And Love was just so frustrated. She was trying to tell Miss Wilson what was happening to Amadou and her. And I went in and I translated, but it is English, but our Liberian English. And I said, Miss Wilson, she's saying Amadou is cussing, cursing, swearing. And Miss Wilson's like, oh, oh, okay, thank you. Uh, okay. And then she made him take a break. And me and Love just looked at each other and she rolled her eyes and we kind of chuckled a little bit. Reflecting on that, it makes me wonder if Love, being in this country as long as she is now, I know she's a grown woman now, but if she felt like she needed to code switch or did she feel confident enough knowing that I was Liberian in that classroom too, that she felt like she could be her full self. And that's something that will always stick with me. But again, representation of people of all walks of life in your school settings will also help foster our kids to be unapologetically themselves, that they don't have to mask themselves. They don't have to switch their vernacular and order to be present in the fullest extent. So just giving you some really cool tips about learning more about code switching. My best advice to you is to harness an environment that is open and inclusive by researching common cultural phrases of different groups. That's why I love about vetted sources that I'll have in the show notes, but Google is free. There's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of podcasts out there that talks about code switching and freedom from code switching. I highly recommend you finding those. And then, like I said, allow your students to use their vernacular comfortably and don't mock them and try to repeat what they're trying to say. That's the best way you can be that inclusive educator that you strive to be. Thank you so much for listening to the Cultural Curriculum Chat Podcast. Please share this episode with an educator friend, a DEI and B learner trying to get all the things right to say, hey, hey, Jebba taught me a new phrase or a new key term or a new book. I'm here to be your resource hub. So please share what I know with as many people as you know. And I'll see you here same time next week, Friday. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to Cultural Curriculum Chat with Jebba Edmonds. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We will be here same time, same place next week. Take care. Bye-bye.